Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Mark chapter 14, the book of Mark chapter 14. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, in continuation of where we left off last week in chapter 13, we pick up here in verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. Now, remember, they've already been conspiring together. These are things that we've looked at in their previous chapters in the book of Mark. The religious establishment and the political establishment. They're in cahoots. And in the previous chapters, you know, where they would ask and they would probe and they would try to trap Jesus. They would be using the texts of Moses and the prophets and they would try to trap him, which... That alone, it reveals a lot about them. You know, using using scripture with intent to harm. That's not good. Remember, they, they've been conspiring to destroy Jesus and they're using scripture or attempting to use scripture. And instead of using the scripture with the intent to clean, you see? And that's what the shepherds of the Old Testament were supposed to be doing, using the text, the writing of Moses and the the prophets. Remember, the whole objective is so that people can be clean before the Lord. That's what they're supposed to be doing, so that Israel can be clean and pure before the Lord. And it's the exact same with pastors today, so that Christians can be clean and pure before the Lord, you see? And, you know, we've seen in the previous chapters where after they would inquire and probe and ask these questions, it got to a point where nobody, nobody dared to ask Jesus anymore. Because what happens is, you know, uh, uh, they can twist the scriptures. They twist the scriptures, you know, with, with most anybody and they do it. But they can't with Jesus They were unable to because Jesus would straight up ask them questions. You know, have you not read? Do you not know? You know, do you not interpret Moses? Do you not interpret the prophets? And they can't twist the scriptures with Jesus because he is the scripture. The word became flesh. Moses wrote about him. Remember in, in, in other gospels when, you know, the the Pharisees, they would be straight up like, you know, oh, we're hardcore. We follow Moses. And Jesus was like, how can you? How can you? Because Moses wrote about me. And then he goes on to teach about their blindness. Jesus teaching about the blindness of the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious establishment. Now, what's happened with the establishment in conspiring with the, this conspiracy with the a political establishment, you know, now they change their methods of, you know, their objectives or the objective is the same, but they change their methods of the, uh, of their conspiring together. It changes because now they want to take Jesus by trickery. And that's how it translates. You know, it trickery, it translates as to trick, to bait and uh, using deceit. You know, they can't get him by scripture. They can't get him by scripture. They can twist the scriptures all they want. You know, they've done it with with people, but they can't do it with Jesus. And the whole time, they're blind to the scriptures. They didn't understand. Remember, they did have a knowledge. They knew about Elijah, but they could not discern Elijah. You see, and so what they want to do is they want to take our Lord by trickery 
in verse 2. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So verse 1, we see that the chief priests and the scribes, they sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But then we also see in verse 2, oh, but not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And remember how in our Wednesday study in, in, in 1 Samuel, how in our Wednesday study, we present the two hills? Remember the two hills? I mean, if you listen to our Wednesday study, remember the two hills where on one hill, we see King Saul and he's worshiping the Lord. But then the other hill has Samuel the prophet. And the Lord is telling Samuel, I've rejected Saul. Remember in our Wednesday study? Because with carnal eyes, you could look at one hill with King with King Saul. Oh, the king is worshiping. That's so great. That's so awesome. That's so nice. But then with spiritual eyes, on the hill of Samuel the prophet, we know how the Lord is telling Samuel, hey, I've rejected Saul. The king's heart is far from the Lord. And it's something similar here that we see in Mark chapter 14. It just so happens. Because on one hill, we see the religious leaders in the era of Mark 14. They got the robes, they got the garb, they got they speak the lingo. They have the, the training, they have the education. They have academia, and everybody looks to them for, 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 for guidance on, on matters holy. But then on another hill, we see something different. We see the disciples. And we can see something different. Sure, we have the priesthood, you know, over there on the, on the, on the other hill over there. Sure, we got the priesthood. But look at them, just like Judges. Yeah, we got the priests, but look at them. Remember our study in the book of Judges? Very difficult book. Very difficult book in terms of the people. The people forgetting the Lord when the Lord becomes forgotten. And meanwhile, don't forget our study in the book of Judges. Everybody doing what is right in his own eyes. You see? So yeah, we got the priesthood, all right. But look at them. Look at their hearts. Look at what they're doing with Scripture. They try to use Scripture to trap Jesus. And now, you know, what they're doing with Scripture, they're, 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 they're blind to the Scriptures, number one. But we also see how in their hearts, they want to kill Scripture's fulfillment. They want to kill Jesus. The Word became flesh. And before, they tried, they, they tried to trap Him with Scripture. But now what they're doing is they're employing trickery. And so in verse 2, oh, but not during the feast. Not during the feast. You see, they're hypocrites. They're hypocrites because the priests, you know, oh, you know, the feast, it's a special time. It's a very special time. We have to observe the law and we don't want there to be an uproar. Very interesting what we see because they have the, the priesthood. They have an appearance of something good. They got the garb, they speak the lingo, and, you know, they do all that. They have their phylacteries. Remember our study in the book of Matthew? If you've been walking with us for a while. They have an appearance of something good. Oh, look, the priest. The priest, they want to help us. Oh, look, they're so thoughtful for the feast. But look at their hearts. Look at their hearts. Very interesting what we see. Look at their hearts. When you understand formula. Look at their hearts. And so now, meanwhile, let's go to another nearby place. So verse 1 and 2, that's what's happening in, you know, one area. But then now in verse 3, and being in Bethany, 
at the house of Simon the leper as he sat at the table. Now, this is Jesus sitting at the table. Now, this is very interesting because they're at the house of Simon the leper. Now, I wonder who, I wonder who of the religious establishment would enter the home of a leprous man. You see? I mean, was this Simon presently leprous at this particular time? Or was leprosy something that he battled with for a for a, a long time? Maybe off and on, off and on. Did the Lord heal him? And for me, I think our Lord healed him. I think our Lord healed him. Because, you know, Brother John in John's account of John's gospel, you know, Brother John says in John chapter 21, verse 25, Brother John says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So beautiful. So beautiful. I mean, you know, I mean, just to consider, like we have the Gospels, you know, four Gospels. And it's like, whoa, there, there's even more that our Lord did. And praise be to the Lord. And so we're in the house of Simon the leper. And the religious leaders could say of it, unclean, unclean. But then when you understand formula and you look at their hearts, we can look at them and say of them, no, you unclean, unclean. Look at what they're doing with scripture. Look at what they've done with scripture. They're using scripture. They're trying to trap the fulfillment of scripture. The word became flesh. Moses wrote about Jesus, the prophets, Jesus. You see? And you could look at the religious leaders and point the finger at them and be like, no, 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 you unclean, unclean. Look at what you're doing. Very important to understand. And so with Jesus, we're sitting at the table, you know, in John's account, Lazarus is there. Lazarus, formerly dead, formerly dead and now alive. And we see, you know, we see here that, you know, in, in verse three and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Now, this is a very expensive perfume, very expensive perfume. Ingredients, you know, they come from various plants, some as far in regions, as far as the Himalayas, you know. And this isn't like, you know, like a, a, a diluted type of a formula in this costly oil. No, this is this in the Greek, it mentions that, no, it's genuine. This is like the real deal. And so very expensive, very expensive uh, fragrance that she has in this very costly oil of spikenard. And we see, then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Very interesting because in John's account, we see that it was Mary's oil. And we also see that she anointed his feet with oil and she wiped his feet with her hair. That's in Brother John's account. And so notice with Mary, the covering of her hair, what 1 Corinthians 11 teaches, the covering of her hair at the feet of Jesus, the ultimate covering. So with Mark and John, with the, the gospel of Mark and the gospel of John, there does appear to be a disconnect because is the oil on his head or is the oil on his feet? And I'll give you the answer. It's both. It's both. 
Mary, she pours the oil on his head and it pours down all the way to his feet. All the way to his feet. And then her covering, using the covering of her hair at the feet of the greater covering and the sweet aroma in John's account says the aroma of the, of, of the, uh, of the uh, 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 perfume, it filled the entire room. And that's what Brother John, in Brother John's account says, it filled the entire room. Don't forget, this is a very expensive fragrance, very expensive uh, perfume and oil. And the aroma comes from the oil that is on Jesus and on Mary's covering of hair. Can you see what's happening here? Can you see what's happening here? And it just so happens, it just so happens in our Wednesday study, in our Wednesday study, it just so happens we see the anointing of David and it just so happens that the very next study in Sunday is we have the anointing of the son of David. Son of David, son of man, son of God, and king of our hearts. It just so happens, it just so happens. So beautiful what we see in the word of God. But then we see in verse 4, But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? Now, in Brother John's account, Brother John's gospel, we see that this was Judas Iscariot who brought this up. And Judas, Brother John reveals that Judas would carry the money box and take money from it. He was a thief. And Judas wasn't alone in this sentiment because it, the, the account in verse 4, but there were some, the text says some who were indignant. You see, why was the oil wasted, they said. And we see in verse 5. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Now notice, it's not Judas alone. It's not Judas alone who raises an issue or who has beef with this issue that has arisen where, oh, you know, uh, you know, uh, why, why was this fragrant oil? Why was it wasted? No, it's not. It's not just Judas. There is a plurality of people who thought this way. 300 denarii? That's a... You know, some translations say it's a year's salary. That's how, you know, when you look at the denarii and the equivalent of, you know, Roman times, it's about a year's salary for the average worker, a year's salary. And this perfume, it's, it's, it's not fresh off the shelf either. You know, Mary had it, you know, she, she poured it all on Jesus, not a little portion, not a little, not a little drip on his head and a little drip on his feet. No, she takes the whole bottle and boom, it goes on his head and it goes on his head all the way down to his feet. And some see it. Oh, it's a waste. It's a waste. We could have sold it for 300, even used. We could have sold it for 300, you know, brand new, maybe even more, you know, fresh off the shelf, maybe even more, but you know, used because it was in Mary's possession, you know, we could have sold it for 300 denarii, about a year's salary. And she pours it all on Jesus. The dissenting disciples, you know, they bring up a very valid reality. They bring up something very valid. Because, yeah, it could have been sold. It could have been sold and the profits could have been given to the poor to help the poor, to have compassion on the poor. Listen, these are very good traits to have. To help the poor and have compassion on the poor, these are good traits. These are good things. But remember what we studied on Wednesday. That God 
looks at the heart. The Lord, he looks at the heart. And this reveals something so beautiful, so beautiful, so incredibly beautiful about Mary. Because Mary, it wasn't Mary showing off. It wasn't Mary being flamboyant with wealth. It wasn't Mary, oh, look at me. I got this, this expensive uh, fragrance. Look at me. I got this expensive oil and boom, I'm going to use all of it. No, she's not showing off at all. Those sided with Judas, you know, they know it was a waste. It's a waste. Why is she doing this? Those who are sided with Judas, they don't know the heart of Judas. Because he says 300 denarii, Judas, he says 300 denarii, but is it really 250 denarii for, for, to help the poor? While he takes a little from the top, remember, Brother John reveals that, no, he, he, would, he would take some money from the money box. So when Judas is speaking, you know, we could have sold it for 300 denarii, we could have sold it for 300 denarii, it, for him in his heart, is it really 250? Is it really 270? While he takes, you know, uh, you know, while he pockets some for himself. Look at his motive behind what he says. Look at the motive. Remember, the Lord looks at the heart. He knows motives. And so Judas, along with those who are aligned with him, at this particular juncture, at this particular, uh, at, at this particular notion, even. They do bring up a very valid reality to help the poor. That's a good thing. Helping the poor is a very good thing. And it does have the appearance of something holy. But what happens when clarity and understanding are lacking? What happens when motive is completely wrong? Because, you know, Judas, you know, we could have sold this for 300 and, get, you know, given it all to the poor. And yes, that's, they could have. And that would have been, that would not have been a bad thing. You know, the, you know, caring for the poor, compassion for the poor. These are good things. But what about motive? Because a person can look at Judas, okay, yeah, he brings up a valid point, you know, 300 denarii, oh yeah, you know, Judas is right, he brings up a, 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 he makes a strong case. But what they don't know is that Judas, he would, you know, yeah, I got a box full of 300 denarii, but then when he goes and distributes it, he's distributing 250 while he pockets another 50 for himself. You see? Now you see motive, look at the heart of Judas. Look at the money preachers of today. Look at the money preachers of today. They like to speak about giving financially to the Lord. And listen, giving financially to the Lord, sacrifice, is absolutely a good thing. It is holy unto the Lord. Remember the two mites? We just studied that. Remember the two mites? Sacrifice is beautiful unto the Lord. But when you hear these money preachers on TV, what's their motive? You hear the money preachers on the radio, what's their motive? Is it holiness within the body? Is it so that the body of Christ can be holy unto the Lord, living sacrificially unto the Lord? Is that their motive? Or is it to fleece the flock of God and take a little off the top? You see? Very interesting what we see. 
And this small group with Judas, you know, Judas brings up a very valid argument to where, you know, other people, they were like, hey, you know what? Judas is right. Yeah, we could have sold this. We could have given the 300 to the poor. And this small group with Judas, they don't just criticize Mary. No, the, the text says they criticize her sharply. But then look what happens here in verse 6. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. You see, Jesus doesn't say that helping the poor is a bad thing. He doesn't imply that helping the poor is a bad thing. In fact, in other teachings and other gospels, even in the epistles, no, helping the poor is a good thing. But he provides clarity to what's happening. He provides clarity to this situation of what's happening. He says, you have the poor with you always in verse 7. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. Verse 8, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Whoa. And now we have clarity to the situation. Now we can see what's happening here. And it's astonishing. Because Mary, this beautiful woman, she not only remembered the words of the Lord. Remember, Jesus is the one who said that he would be killed. And she not only remembers his words, but Mary, she puts her works to the words of Jesus. Mary, she puts her acts to the words of Jesus. And not to get ahead of ourselves in our studies, but, you know, when Jesus dies and is in the tomb, it's the men. The men forget what he said, and they were afraid. And you know who remembers? It's the women. The women. They're not scaredy cats. The men, they were afraid. They were the scaredy cats. And understandably so, you know, like, you know, here's Jesus, and they put him on the cross. He died, and he's in the tomb. And the, the patriarch of this movement presumed to be dead. They have every reason to be afraid. I get it. I understand it. Not to speak negatively that the men were afraid. I get it. I understand it. But who remembered? The beautiful women. You see? even making provisions before the Sabbath, they remembered. And it's so beautiful to see. And we see in verse 9, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. You see? And here we are today, you and me. Fulfilling the very words of our Lord in looking at this beautiful, this beautiful woman, the beautiful works, the anointing of our Lord for his burial. You see? It's so powerful. Judas and those who were, you know, Judas has a point. You know, oh yeah, we could have sold this for 300 denarii. And they criticized her sharply. Mary, what are you doing? You know, that's an expensive bottle. Why are you... 
And, and picture the last drop on, on, on her Lord's head, you know, or the last drop. And then she gets on her knees. Don't forget, you know, to, 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 to wipe his feet with her hair. She has to be bowed down before him. Just her posture alone. And picture Judas incensed and making a case, making an argument like, oh, yeah, you know, we could we could have sold this for 300 and, and, and given it to the poor. And it's not to nullify the acts of good works. But when we put things in proper perspective, we see that, oh my goodness, Mary? No, she's anointing our Lord for his burial. You see? Then we see in verse 10 what happens. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. You see? Very important to understand and remember and bind on our hearts, you and me together, to bind on our hearts that any work of the Lord must never, ever, ever forget the Lord of the work. Any work of the Lord must never forget the Lord of the work. And that's what's happening to Judas. That's what's happening to Judas. Because remember, Judas, he did have the poor in mind. He did have the poor in mind, but he also had himself in mind. You see, he also had his, himself in mind. Because remember, what Brother John, he reveals in his gospel, he reveals that Judas would take a little off the top. He would dip into the funds. So Judas did have the poor in mind, but he didn't forget himself. And this reveals something else. No meekness, which reveals something further. No heeding to the instructions of our Lord. You see? And this is very basic. This is like a very basic overview of things that happen in the pneumos. Remember our earlier chapters and what happens in the spirit realm? And so Judas, now he joins with those conspiring to kill Jesus, the religious establishment. Now Judas is joining with them. And in verse 11, and when they heard it, they were glad. And promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. You see, the religious establishment, you know, Judas comes. Like in in, in verse 10, we see that Judas, he goes to the chief priest to betray Jesus. And so they're they're happy. You know, we can finally get Jesus. We got an insider. We got a mole. You see? And they promised to give Judas money. Hey, we're going to pay you. Judas likes money. Judas likes the money. And so Judas sought how he may betray Jesus and translates conveniently betray him translates as an opportune time, an opportune time. Very interesting. This opportune time. The downward spiral for Judas. It's already started. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And down the road, what's going to happen? He's going to commit suicide. He's going to commit suicide. Remember the tormenting? We, we, we just studied this on Wednesday. Remember the tormenting? The spirit realm, the pneumos? Listen, it's no small thing. Remember our studies in the epistles? You know, hey, if you're open to the pneumos, what does that mean? You're open to the pneumos. It's no small thing. It's a huge deal. And so for Judas, we're seeing him. He's getting worse Worse and worse, quenching, 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 just an, like an example of the very thing we studied on Wednesday. It's going to reach the point where he commits suicide. You see? 
And then we see in verse 12, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out, he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man and, and a man will meet you, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Now, very specific instructions. Just like with the donkeys. Remember several chapters ago we see the donkeys? Remember the colt? Very specific instructions. No, nothing general, no generalities. You know, go into the city, there's gonna be a man. When you see the man carrying the pitcher of water, hey, follow him. Very specific instructions. And this is something that intimacy with the Lord allows. It allows this. Very detailed instruction. Very detailed real-time instruction. And this is something that's going to play out big time, big time, as we get further into the events of the last days. It's going to play out big time. We're going to see it. Intimacy with the Lord. And then you're also going to see those who do not have intimacy with the Lord. And it's going to be terrible for them. And so Jesus continues with these very specific instructions. You know, the guy with the pitcher of water, hey, follow him. And then in verse 14, wherever he goes in, wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? In verse 15, then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. Now, as much as we see these very, very specific instructions, let's not forget something else. That instructions were also given to the master of the house. You see? Let's say, for example, you and me. You and me. Say we're good friends with the master of the house here in this Mark 14 era. We get in my time machine, we go back in time, and we're good friends with the master of the house. And here we are at this particular day where this is happening, except this. Five days prior, five days prior, say we're meeting with the master of the house. We're, we're in one of his rooms and, you know, we're just talking, you know, getting caught up, you know, hey, how you doing? But then we notice there's a ruckus going on upstairs while we're visiting him. And so we ask, hey, what's the ruckus? What's the ruckus? And then he gets kind of shy, but then he tells us, well, you know, the Lord put it on my heart to furnish and prepare the upper room. The Lord put it on my heart to do that. You see? And so we say like, you know, oh, wow, you know, change of venue. Hey, yo, so you're going to do the Passover up there? He says, no, 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 no. He says, I don't even know who's coming. I don't know how many are coming. I don't really know the specific details, but you know what? It's heavy on my heart. You know how many people would, you know, how many people would think the master of the house is stupid? You know how many people would think that? Because logically, it makes no sense. Intellectually, it makes no sense. A praise be to the Lord because faith is something different. For the master of the house to act on what was put on his heart. That's huge. That's big. And it's not for the, the the advantage. It's not for the advantage or benefit of himself. You know. Oh, you know. I'm 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 gonna do what's on my heart. And you know, if this comes to pass, you know. 
Mary might be there and she's rich. You know, she has, she has, you know, her perfume is like, you know, an, 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 an annual salary. So, you know, Mary's loaded. So, you know, she might be there. Peter might be there. Maybe he'll give me some free fish. He'll hook it up with some free fish. Oh, Matthew might be there. You know, he's going to hook it up with some free tax advice. Because a person can see that and think like, oh, wow, you know. Wow, look, you know, he's so holy. He's in tune with God. But when you look at the motives, it's like, wait a second. He wants free tax advice. He wants free fish. He wants to be chummy with Mary. You know, she's rich. Maybe she can get me a good job. And you see, that's carnal thinking. The what's in it for me mentality. The what's in it for me mindset. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Me, 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 me. You know what that is? No meekness. But for the master of the house to say, you know what? I'm going to act on it. And I don't want anything. I'm going to act on it. I mean, when we look at the book of Acts, you know what we see? Acts. We see the deeds. We look at Peter. You know, we're Peter. I'm going to act on it. I'm going to act on it and I'm going to get arrested. We see that with Peter. The Spirit, you know, puts something on his heart. The Spirit speaks to him. Hey, do this. Hey, go here. And Peter, you know, I'm going to act on this. And you know what? I'm going to act on this and I'm going to get arrested. It's not, I'm going to act on this and I'm going to become a millionaire. Hey, I'm going to act on this, you know, and I'm going to get a mansion. Hey, I'm going to act on this and I'm going to get a yacht. No, Peter, he says, no, I'm going to act on this and I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to act on this and I'm going to be beaten. Look at Paul in the epistles. I'm going to act on this and you know what? The saints are going to hate me. Remember what he said, you know, the more I love you, the more you hate me. And Paul writes, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You see, remember our study in James, brother James reveals that faith and acts, the two are inseparable. Remember the package deal? Remember our study in the book of James, the package deal? Don't forget, we still have to test the spirits. Also, we have to test the spirits. Don't forget. And so let's continue in our study here. Jesus gave very specific instructions, very specific blueprints on what to do. And so in verse 16, so his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. So beautiful what we see. Now, don't forget these specific instructions given to the disciples. Don't forget that along with that, the master of the house, everything was furnished. Everything was prepared in the upper room. He had to act on that. You see? And then the guy with the pitcher of water. For at a specific time, for him to make that journey at a specific time when the disciples walk, they go into the city and boom, for such a time as this, their paths intersect. And the disciples know, hey, we got to follow that guy. So beautiful, the things that are put in motion. And these are things, intimacy with the Lord, it is such a beautiful thing. Such a beautiful thing. And don't expect to be Mr. Popular. Don't expect to be Miss Popular. Because intimacy with the Lord, you look at, you read the Bible and you see people who have intimacy with the Lord, deep intimacy with the Lord. I mean, look at Samuel. Look at Hannah. You see? 
Look at the book of Judges, an era when the Lord became forgotten, but then you see little pockets of, wow, you know, this person didn't. This guy didn't. This lady didn't. Remember Jephthah's daughter? She didn't. So powerful, you see. In the book of Judges, you see a whole lot of mess, but you also see something beautiful in a remnant and in the remnant only. And so verse 17, in the evening, he came with the 12. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. One of you who eats with me will betray me. Now we've seen in the previous verses is Judas. And you see Judas, the downward spiral, it's already in motion. It's already begun. And when we said earlier, you know, the quenching, 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 that was, you know, an example of what we spoke of in our Wednesday study. You know, we cite our Wednesday study, how we see uh, Saul, King Saul as an Old Testament example of quenching the spirit. But very important to note, you know, Acts chapter two hasn't happened yet the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, Judas isn't there. Very important to understand. We also see in Acts chapter one that Judas by transgression fell. You see? Very important to understand. And so now as they sat and ate, Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Whoa. One of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful. And to say to him, one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? One by one, they asked the question. He answered and said to them, it is, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him. Now, here in Mark 14, here in Mark 14, what we're about to see, we're going to see more fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. There's more prophets too and more prophecies too, but we're going to see more fulfillment of what Isaiah writes about. Painful prophecies. Painful prophecies of our king. Turn really quick to Isaiah. A book of Isaiah chapter 53. Really quick. Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, verse 1, the prophet Isaiah. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, speaking of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah is speaking of Jesus, for he shall grow up before him. Now, this is speaking of God our Father. You know, the he and the him here in verse 2. He, which is Jesus, and the him, that's God our Father. Hallowed be his name. In verse 1, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He has despised, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's like the judge's generation, the judge's era, multiple generations, but the judge's era. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You see? And these are things that we're seeing fulfilled in the book of Mark, in our study in the book of Mark. We're seeing fulfillment, something that the prophet Isaiah wrote about. So let's go back to Mark 14 now. Mark 14. And in Mark 14, verse 21, the Son of Man, in verse 20, Mark 14, verse 21, the Son of Man indeed goes just as, as it is written of him. Just look at what we looked at in, 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 in Isaiah 53. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. He speak, do you remember he said, somebody's going to betray me. One of you will betray me. Now, he knows what Judas is already doing, what, what's, what's, what's con conspiring in his mind and what's brewing in his heart. He's fully aware of it. But at the same time, remember the marathon? Remember our study called the marathon? Very important to understand because, yes, there's a marathon, the marathon of Judas, but within the confines of choice. Certain things are put into place. Certain things happen. But it's always within the confines of choice. It includes a person's choice. I mean, if you haven't listened to our study called The Marathon, go and listen to our study called The Marathon. It's very important to understand. And so we see in verse 22, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is, the, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. He says in verse 25, Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, in the era of Mark, in Mark 14, the era of Mark, a future event, what he says here in verse 25, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is a future event. In the era of 2023 AD, even still, a future event. Because Matthew's account says, I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. A future event. A prophecy that is still pending. I mean, if we were to have a checklist of prophecies, what we read in, 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 in Isaiah 53, we could put check marks next, next to them. Hey, it's done. Done, 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 done. But there's still some check boxes that have no checks in them. Why? It's still a pending prophecy. You see? This is one of them. I and mean, if we were to have a list of prophecies, you know, the Isaiah ones, done, done. Well, you know, what we read, you know, those, done, done, done. Bruised for our iniquity, done, check mark. But then this one here in verse 25, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Hey, no check mark. It's still pending. 
And in verse 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been, I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. In verse 29, Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. I mean, like Jesus tells them, hey, you're all going to scatter. And Peter says, no, not me. And then in verse 30, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Look how Peter responds here in verse 31. But he spoke more vehemently. Peter, he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. They all said likewise. Understand there is a boldness, a certain boldness that can be measured with the time. I mean, when there's peace or when there's relative peace, it's easy to be bold because there's no opposition. It's easy piece of cake. Okay, bold, no, no big deal. But what happens when boldness, when there's the threat of opposition? You see? What happens when there's the threat of opposition? It's very powerful to consider, you know, when there's times of peace. In our studies in the Old Testament, when there's times of peace, yes, it is a beautiful thing. But remember what old man Moses told the people? He says, hey, tell your kids, tell your grandkids, tell them about the works of the Lord. Tell them about the hand of the Lord. Tell them about the goodness of the Lord. Tell them, tell them, tell them. What happens? They forget. They don't tell them. And then after, you know, generation upon generation upon generation, you see they, they forget the Lord. The Lord becomes forgotten. The Lord becomes forgotten. And then we see what happens, you know, in the book of Judges, we see what happens. When Joshua says, you know, old man Moses says, you know, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. We see in Joshua, don't forget, don't forget. And Joshua says, hey, as for, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The people say, hey, Joshua, we're on board. We're going to serve the Lord too. And then you turn the page, boom, book of Judges. What happens? They forget. Because the Lord says, tell, you know, Moses, you know, the Lord says through Moses, through Joshua, hey, tell the future generations, tell your kids. You have, you know, children, tell your children. And when they grow up, tell their children to tell them to tell their children. You got grandbabies? Tell the, tell the grandbabies. You got great-grandbabies? Tell them. Tell them about the Lord. But then when you have a generation that doesn't do that, you have the next generation, little babies, little sweet, little sweet baby girl, little sweet, beautiful son, and then they grow up without knowing the Lord. What do you think that's going to look like? I mean, in that generation, it's going to look, you know, it's, it's going to be bad. But it's not going to be as bad as five generations without the Lord. It only gets worse, you see. And so there is a boldness that, you know, depending on opposition, there's a certain boldness that is, you know, a person can have boldness. But what happens when the opposition is intense? Because in this era of Mark 14, this very night, with the intensity of persecution, you know what happens to boldness? It quickly goes away. 
Because, you know, Peter in verse 31, he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. You know, everybody's on board. Yeah, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to deny you. Jesus says, all of you will be scattered. And all the disciples, "Eh, no, not me, not me, not me, not me. But we're going to see as this as this very evening in Mark 14, as it gets heavy, very heavy, we're going to see, hey, what happened to the boldness? Very important to remember that the disciples here, they're not yet apostles. They do not yet have, have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's coming in Acts chapter 2. But this is something we're going to see played out in the last days. A present boldness of believers today. And boldness isn't a bad thing. Boldness is a good thing. But when persecution intensifies on the saints, that boldness is going to dissipate. Present boldness, it's going to disappear. People who quench the spirit more and more and more. Quenching, 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 quenching. Remember our study on Wednesday? Nothing new under the sun. These are things that are going to be, they're, they're going to play out. These are things that must happen. Remember, apostasy is prophesied. You know what that is? A defection away from the truth. A defection away from the Lord. A defection away from the word of God. It's going to happen. It will come to pass. I mean, it's already started. In verse 32, we see here, then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Stay here and watch, he says. In verse 35, he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. You see Jesus here? It's so beautiful and painful too. Isaiah 53, it's being fulfilled right here in Mark 14. It's being fulfilled. Painful prophecies of our Lord. But Jesus is teaching us and showing us obedience unto the Lord, obedience unto the Father, hallowed be his name, and he's showing us by his own example. And Jesus, he's very real, you know, very real. In terms of, you know, Father, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Even in in verse 35, he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Father, take this cup from me, he prays. But it's very important for us to also see Jesus saying, not my will, thy will. You see, obedience unto the Father, not my will. Thy will, Father. In verse 37, then he came and found them sleeping. Remember, verse 34, stay here and watch. 
So a little time passes and they're not watching. What happened? They fell asleep. He came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now, very interesting to see that obedience, you know, is preventive. A preventive measure against temptation. And this is something that Peter, he later writes about in his epistles. Remember the, the guarantees that Peter writes about? Remember our study in the, the, the writings of Peter, the epistles of Peter? Do you remember? These are things that he writes about. Inspired of the Spirit, but it's also from his own experience. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Remember our study in Romans? Learning to walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. It's so beautiful because, you know, when a person comes to Christ, say a person comes to Christ at age 20, Okay, age 20, a person comes to Christ. Well, you have 20 years of walking according to, born into Adam, 20 years walking according to Adam, walking according to the flesh. But then a person is born again at age 20. But at age 20, they're like a baby again, a spiritual baby, because now they have to learn to walk according to the spirit. You see? So beautiful. Paul teaches us this. You know, the word of God teaches us, the Lord teaches us this using Vessel Paul in the book of Romans, learning to walk according to the spirit. Remember our studies? They're archived. The spirit indeed is willing, our Lord says, but the flesh is weak. In verse 39, again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. Now, when he returned, verse 40, and when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know, they did not know what to answer him. In verse 41, then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Are you still? And now at this point, verse 41, now it's too late. Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, Judas, remember how he sought to betray earlier in the earlier chapters? Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. You see Judas in the earlier verses, how he was, he was uh, conspiring with those who were in cahoots together, the religious establishment and the political establishment. And he told the disciples earlier, hey, stay here and pray. But they fell asleep. They fell asleep. And then the third time in verse 31, in verse 41, they fell asleep again. You know what's interesting to note? That while they were sleeping, the enemy was at work. While they were sleeping, this, in verse 43, this great multitude with swords and clubs and Judas along with them. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders conspiring together to kill Jesus. They want to destroy him. 
And the whole time, the disciples fell asleep. The first time, the second time, and now it's the third time. They're still sleeping. But you know who never rests? Satan. Never rests. Never rests. Very important to note and remember. They fell asleep. The first time they fell asleep. Meanwhile, something else is happening. Everybody assembling, you know, the this multitude assembling. Hey, get your clubs. Hey, you know, banging on doors. Hey, get your clubs. Get your swords. The priests, the scribes are setting us on this mission. They, they want us to go out and make an arrest. Well, who is it? Who is it? I don't know. We got to follow Judas. You see? And meanwhile, at Gethsemane, they're sleeping. The disciples sleeping. Jesus isn't. He's praying. And the disciples are asleep. You see? And then the second time they fall asleep. Now the, the meanwhile, what's happening on the other side of town, you see the, the, the multitude, hey, it's getting greater and greater. Hey, you know, everybody assemble, get your clubs, get your swords. We're going to go make an arrest. Who is it? I don't know. We got to follow Judas. He's going to show, he's going to point out the guy who, who we're going to arrest. Disciples sound asleep. Sound asleep at Gethsemane. Meanwhile, what's happening? Oh, you, we're, we got to march. We got to march over here. Go over here. We got this big assembly. We got the clubs. We got the swords. And we got to make this arrest. Well, who is it? Somebody tell me who it is. I don't know. Follow Judas. He's going to show us. He's one of us. And the third time, are you still sleeping? Jesus says in verse 41, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And notice in verse 43, why, why he was speaking. Verse 43, why he was speaking. So he says, like in verse 41 and 42, you know, the hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed. I wonder if you can see in the distance, in the, in not a far distance, but just, you know, a little bit out. Because remember, it's nighttime. And then all of a sudden, hey, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. You see, when you sleep, Satan isn't. When you sleep, the demons are not sleeping. When you sleep, those forces in the pneumos conspiring to kill you, they do not sleep. You see, in verse 44, now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. So, you know, the guy, you know, guy, you know, hey, everybody, you know, get your clubs, get your swords, get everything. We're going to make a rest. Who is it? I don't know. Judas is going to show us. Judas is one of us. He's going to point us out. He's going to point the guy. He's he, the, 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 the secret signal is whoever he kisses. We got to arrest that guy. And so here he is. There's the signal. In verse 45, as soon as he had come, this is Jesus now. The, now the, those paths connect now. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him. This is Judas now. Goes up to Jesus and said to him. Immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. You see, now the crowd, now the multitude with their bats and clubs, now they know that's the guy. That's who it is. We got to make the arrest. 
in verse 46, and they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, other gospel revealed that this is Peter who drew his sword. In verse 48, then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? In verse 49, I was daily with you in the temple teaching. I was teaching. And you did not seize me? But the scriptures must be fulfilled. You see? I mean, Jesus wasn't running away. He wasn't running away. And, you know, the, the this multitude with their swords and clubs, they didn't have to, like, catch him, you know, get on horses and catch him because, you know, to, to close the distance. And, you know, hey, we got to make the arrest. Hey, let's, let's run after him. Let's get on our horses. Let's run. No, that... He wasn't running away. In fact, when Jesus, you know, when Jesus says, hey, you know, it's too late now. You know, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. In verse 42, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He says, rise, let us be going. And you think like, you know, rise, let's get out of Dodge. No, he doesn't say that. He says, rise, let us be going. And where does he go? Well, in verse 45, as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus wasn't running away from Judas. No, he was going towards Judas. You see, he wasn't running away. He says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, thy will. And we see fulfillment fulfillment of Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 53. And in verse 48, Jesus says to them, look, have you come out as against a robber? Look, I'm not running from you guys. You don't have to, you know, you know, go as quickly as you can to, you know, five towns away because, you know, I'm making a run for it. No. You come out me like, like against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? In verse 49, I was daily with you in the temple teaching. Then you didn't seize me. Remember, remember how the religious leaders, the religious establishment, they were afraid of the people. They were afraid of the people. Very interesting that they're doing this at night when the people are asleep. People are sleeping. It's nighttime. Very interesting how cunning, how cunning the religious leaders are. Very interesting to see. Seizing not just, you know, the Lord being seized, but also seizing opportunity. The opportune time. The opportune time. Remember what we saw early in the previous verses? Judas seeking the opportune time. Other gospels say, you know, that the, 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 the only people indwelt by Satan in the Bible, Judas is one of them. The next one, the Antichrist indwelt by Satan. Other gospels say, you know, Satan entered him. Very interesting. When you're sleeping, Satan is not. And Jesus says, the scriptures must be fulfilled. Verse 50, then they all forsook him and fled. Remember the boldness we see in verse 43? Hey, we're not going to leave you. We're not going to leave you. And now we have this multitude, great multitude with the swords and the clubs. And what happened to the boldness? 
What happened to the boldness? They all forsook Jesus and fled exactly as he said it would be. Exactly as he said would happen. In verse 50, we have fulfillment of the very thing he said. Then they all forsook him and fled. And this is something that's going to happen in the last days. When the persecution intensifies, you're going to see believers. You're going to see believers. A boldness today. And boldness, listen, boldness is not a bad thing. Boldness is not a bad thing. But will boldness last? In verse 51, look what happens here. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young men laid hold of him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, Brother Mark, what, what Mark writes about here, you know, this, this isn't captured in any of the other Gospels. Now, there are theories that have been formulated by carnal men about who this particular man is. And I'll give you my answer. I don't know. I don't know. I have some ideas, but they're just ideas and they're not doctrine. But I don't know. And I love that. I have a hunch we're going to find out. So we see from verse 46, now they've seized Jesus. And in verse 53, and they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance. Peter following Jesus at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Verse 55, now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. You see, he's innocent. Our Lord, our Savior, our King, he is innocent. In verse 56, for many bore false witness against him. And this further reveals more hypocrisy, deeper hypocrisy, because now they're breaking the law. They're bearing false witness. They're breaking the law. Remember the earlier chapters, you know, with the Sabbath? What are they doing on the Sabbath? Why are they even there? They're breaking the law. We see their hypocrisy. We've seen their hypocrisy since almost the very beginning of the book of Mark. But then now it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Now they're breaking the false witness. They're breaking the law. And that's an easy one. That's one of the 10. That's an easy one. It's not one of the statutes. You know, some laws have derivatives in several statutes that stem from, you know, the, the, the law. This is an easy one. And they're breaking it. They're bearing false witness. Verse 56, for many bore false witness against them, but their testimonies did not agree. He's innocent. He's innocent. Remember when... Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, riding on the colt. He came riding on the colt. Now we look to the, 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 the prophets and the law and we see like, well, this is a big deal. What is being revealed is the lamb. Remember, nothing mangy. Remember the writings in Exodus? A male lamb without blemish. A male lamb without blemish. And we see here in Mark 14, his accusers. And his accusers are the priests. The priests. The chief priests, the elders and the scribes. This is the religious establishment. What are they doing? 
Because we were, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember the, the blueprints that the Lord gave old man Moses on the mountain. Remember Joshua on the outside of the cloud? And we see these beautiful blueprints, not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form, but the law is holy. The law is still holy. Don't forget, the law is still holy. The greater glory is in Jesus Christ, the law's fulfillment, and the prophets. But the law is still holy. And these beautiful blueprints that the Lord put in motion. And just like we get, we, we look at the book, book of Judges. Yeah, we got the priests. Yeah, we got the Kohanim. Yeah, we got the Levites. But look at them. Look at them. Here we are in Mark 14. Yeah, we got the priests. We got Kohanim. We got the scribes. But look at them. Breaking law upon law upon law. Statute upon statute upon statute. Innocent blood. They're breaking the law. They're hypocrites. We see in, in verse 56, many bore false, false witness against them, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. Now, I wonder who it was that spoke up at this particular testimony. Because they said, you know, I will destroy the temple made with, hand and with, made with hands. And within three days, I will build another made without hands. I wonder who it was. I wonder who it was that stood. Well, that's not precisely what he said. I wonder who it was who spoke. So th to make it so that the testimonies did not agree. Notice what happens in verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? In verse 61, but he kept silent and answered nothing. Remember, we're still seeing fulfillment of Isaiah. Silent before his accusers. We're still seeing fulfillment. Remember the, the sheep with the shears? Silent. And in verse 61, again, the high priest, the high priest. This is Kohanim. The high priest asked him, saying, remember, we're in Jerusalem, the so-called heavies. The hardcore. This isn't the, the religious establishment in, 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 in Galilee. This isn't the religious establishment of Nazareth. No, we're with the hardcore, the, the so-called hardcore. We're in Jerusalem. And the high priest asked him, saying, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Christ is Messiah. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? In verse 62, Jesus said, I am. I am, he said. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with, with the clouds of heaven. Now, to say I am, that's huge. That's a big deal because Jesus, he's revealing to them exactly who he is. He says, I am. In verse 63, then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witness? This is the high priest in the order of Aaron. The high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witness? We got him. We got him. Because to say I am, nobody said that. And Jesus just said it. We got him. In verse 64, you have heard blasphemy. What do you think? 
You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? This is the high priest in Jerusalem. This isn't Nazareth. This is the high priest. This is Kohanim. We see in verse 64. The high priest. We got him. You've heard the blasphemy. What, what further need do we have of witness? He just tore his clothes. That's a, a, a you know, the sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes in the Old Testament. You see somebody tear their clothes. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a, a, a sign. It's symbolic of mourning. Mourning, not mourning like, you know, like a, the death in a family, but mourning that, you know, the, the Lord has been blasphemed. And this Kohanim, this high priest in the order of Aaron is tearing his clothes. See, there's a disconnect. The high priest has spoken. In verse 64, and they all condemned him to be deserving of death. He's innocent. Our Lord, he's innocent. What sin has he done? Nothing. He's innocent. And in them shedding innocent blood, which we're going to see, he's going to, our Lord, he's going to die. Fulfillment of the prophecies. They're going to kill him. But the shedding of innocent blood puts into motion, according to the law and the statutes and the prophets, puts certain things into motion. Beautiful things. Effectuation. In verse 65, then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him, and to beat him, and to say to him, prophesy, prophesy, exclamation point, prophesy. They would beat him. They blindfolded him. They beat him, spitting on him. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hand. That's not just one hit. Hit after hit after hit after hit after hit from the religious leaders from the Levites, from the Kohanim. The religious establishment, the priesthood. They're fulfilling the prophet Isaiah. They're fulfilling the prophet Isaiah, the bad prophecies. They're beating Jesus for our iniquity. And then they have the audacity to say, prophesy. Prophesy. Look at their blindness. Look how blind they've become. Look how blind they are. Remember, they could identify certain aspects of Scripture. They could, they could cite Elijah, but they couldn't discern Elijah. Remember what they did when they had they were taking the, 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 the uh, tradition of the elders passed through generation upon generation upon generation, and they were teaching it as doctrine. And it's something that wasn't even in the Torah, wasn't even in the prophets. And they, they set it up as doctrine, and they were teaching it as doctrine, something that wasn't even in the Bible. Look how blind they've become. Yeah, we got the priests. Yeah, we have Kohanim. Yeah, we have the Levites. Yeah, we got them. But they're punching the Son of the Most High God. 
They're spinning on him. Striking him. One after the other. Punch after punch. Look how blind they've become. Look at them. Just like judges. Yeah, we got the priesthood. Remember the idolatry? Remember the, 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 the priest was into the sex? The gang rape of his wife? Slash concubine. Remember the book of Judges? Very painful. Remember the blood that was in all the tribes? Yeah, we got the priests. But when you understand formula, you know, yeah, yeah, this guy can dress up as he wants. He can wear the garb. When you understand formula, you know, that's not what the Bible says. You see? Now we see verse 66. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know, I neither know nor understand what you were saying. And he went out on the porch and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear. Verse 71. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. Notice, we begin to see the cursing and the swearing. I expletive this and I expletive that. I do not know him. And what we see in Peter, the rise of the carnal nature, a return to the old man. And this is something we're going to see in the last days as believers run out of oil. With increasing persecution, the boldness in Christ, as we mentioned earlier, the boldness in Christ, it's going to dissipate. Lamps are going to grow dim. Oil will run out. Let alone the restrainer, he who now restrains. And what we're going to see is a return to the old man, a return to the old woman. And when we remember, remember the spiders and the grizzlies in our earlier studies in the, in the earlier chapters of the book of Mark, the spiders and the grizzlies, it's not the spiders that are going to come back, but they're going to come back, but they're not alone. They're going to bring their friends, which are the grizzlies, the big grizzlies. These are things that we're going to see in the last days. The rise, not just the rise of the flesh, but you're going to see a person, a Christian, return to their old nature. The last state of which will be worse than the first. These are, apostasy. The defection away from the Lord. The defection away from the truth. It's prophesied to happen. I mean, there are beautiful prophecies. The return of the Lord. That, those are beautiful prophecies. But the stepping stones to get there, those are painful stones. And it will come to pass. In verse 72, 
A second time, the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Remember when Peter was adamant, you know, vehemently, I'm not going to deny you. And here we are. And when he thought about it, we see in verse 72, the rooster crowed. And when he thought about it, he wept. He wept. You see. All 12 disciples, all 12 disciples, all 12 disciples chosen and drawn by the Lord, they all deny Jesus. For one, betrayed him. For one, that's Judas. One of them betrayed him. But they all deny Jesus. And something so beautiful is that 11 returned to him. 11 returned to him. Now we've come to the end of chapter 14, but to the present non-believer, to the present non-believer and to those who once believed, to those who once believed and then denied Jesus, I want to say something to you. To the non-believer, come to Jesus. To the one who once believed and denied Jesus, come back to him. Come back to Jesus. And here we are at the end of Mark. Well, Mark 14. But if you want to commit your life to Jesus or recommit your life to Jesus, I want you to listen to another message. I want you to listen to another message. It's called How to Commit Your Life to Christ. And you listen to that message, you commit your life to Christ or you recommit your life to Christ. And you and me, let us journey together to paradise because that's where we're going to the beautiful 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 people of the way a remnant of these last days god bless you i love you